Thoughts are things. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. There is no place called heaven. There is no place called hell. None of those things exist except as ideas in our own mind. And one of the things that I also really um, one of the things that that I have really come to appreciate in my time within this philosophy and how it's truly changed my life is to recognize that it's since it's all states of mind, I get to decide where I am at any given time. So I get to decide if I'm in heaven or if I'm in hell. I get to decide that. And I can have the experience of heaven or I can have the experience of hell. But it all happens in the here and now, right where I am in this present moment. Gratefully, this is an experience of heaven. As I was listening and, 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 and experiencing Stefan singing up here and thinking, you know, he's 15 years old. <laughs> yeah. And if I had had this when I was 15 years old, how different so many aspects of my life would be. I'm not saying I regret anything, but there are some things that would have been different and probably I would have felt a little bit better in the, in the flow of my life. But boy, you know, to have the kind of exposure and experience to a philosophy that says you are amazing, you are magnificent, you are, you are the love of the world, the love of the universe embodied as you. Like, how powerful is that? So I'm really grateful to have it now. And I'm, and, and I'm just trusting and knowing and, 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 and affirming that for, you know, the younger set in the room that they're getting it. <laughs> are you getting it? They're completely out. He's back there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Today's talk is all about that claiming. It's all about the claiming, the claiming of who each and every one of us is. So I titled the talk today, Hello, my name is dot, dot, dot. And I encouraged, I invited us all to wear name tags today. And, uh, and there's a reason for that. So... When I look up, when I looked up, hello, my name is just, you know, some, sometimes I like to just put that in like the talk title into a search engine. Wow. I really do. I really do talk about the internet. Like I'm from like 1990 <laughs> because when I Google it, how's that? Everyone understands that rather than if I ask Jeeves about <laughs> when I put the title of my talk into the search engine, I like just to see what comes up. And there were a couple of things that came up that really took my attention this, this, this week. There is, so do you know the, 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 the uh, website collegehumor.com? They do, so it, basically they do a lot of video kind of sketch comedy types of things. And uh, they have this show called, Hello, My Name Is. And here's the premise of the show. An actor sits down in a makeup chair with no mirrors, cannot see what's happening. And a makeup artist goes to work on creating some kind of look for this actor. And then the actor has 60 seconds to look in a mirror, see what the makeup artist has done, 
develop a character and then go sit down as though they are in a talk show and then they start being asked questions by the host of the talk show and they have to compl- they have to be the character that was created through makeup. I love the idea. I watched a couple of them. They're really interesting. So, so the question that starts it is, tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. And I thought, I took that question. I went, well, that's a really deep question for anybody who's not in the makeup. Like, if you really think about it, tell me about yourself. How do you self-identify? Who are you? Now, the first thing that many of us will say is, my name is Jonathan. Or my name is my name. But who decided that? Most people did not choose their name. Their name was chosen by their parents. So do you choose to continue to identify with something else that somebody gave you? Because that's the identity that you're accustomed to. Again, a lot of this is going to be some rhetorical things to like live in consideration of. Tell me about your family. We didn't choose our family, but we identify ourselves with the familial structure. Some of us did choose our family. I chose my sister. (laughs) And actually, I think when you get down to it, what we recognize is the people who are closest to us who we might not consider, you know, genetically related family, they're our family, right? Tell me about your life. The flow of your life is the perfect flow of an infinite presence being expressed by means of you. So that was one hit that I got on the Google. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I, I just have to make fun of myself. You know? One of my first jobs out of college was actually working for a software development company back in the early days of the internet. And uh, I had to, I, I learned so much. I learned how to like build websites and all kinds of groovy things back in the 90s. There's another, um, there was another hit that, that uh, came up. And this is the one that really piqued my interest. There's a gentleman by the name of Scott Ginsberg, and he has a website called HelloMyNameIsScott.com, and he has a manifesto and believes that everyone at all times should wear name tags. He wears a name tag 24-7, and you may think, well, wait a second, he wears it to bed? In fact, he does. He's now had a name tag tattooed onto his chest that says, hello, my name is Scott. So he literally has a name tag on 24-7. And in his manifesto were 18 ideas. When we do this, it leads to these things. The end of strangers. Nobody is a stranger when you have an identifier. The end of exclusion. The end of anonymity. The end of human commoditization the end of social conflict, the end of dishonesty, the end of hesitation, the end of disengagement, the end of incivility, the end of cultural barriers, the end of disconnectedness, the end of selfishness, the end of neglect, the end of mass formality, the end of hierarchy, the end of entitlement, the end of insecurity, the end of discrimination. He believes that all of this can be accomplished if we simply wore name tags. Because what happens when, when, you know, when everybody walks in, the first thing is, who are you? Like, what's your name? Like, you know, you go through that formal process. Like, what if we didn't have to worry about that? Just marvelous. So beautiful to see you. So grateful to have you here today. Robbie Jean, thank you for being here. 
so that we, it, it, it's an automatic connector. It's an automatic connector. I love the idea. So he's done a TED Talk, if you want to go watch his name again, Scott Ginsburg. I know everybody's like, I'm writing that down. Nope. If you want to know afterwards, I can, I'll tell you again. So today I invited everyone to put on a name tag with this in mind, that now we're breaking down the barrier of that first hitch to actually knowing somebody. So now we all know who, we are, who each other is. We all know who we are or who each other is. I'll, I'll get the grammar of that someday. <laughs> so here's the question that I have for you. As you walked in, and some of you have been here before, I know that I've not necessarily invited us all to wear name tags. It may have been a moment of going, wait a second, why are we doing name tags this week? Or if you've not been here before, it may have just been something that felt natural, like, oh, okay, we're, we, we wear name tags in this experience. So just check in with yourself. What was your initial reaction to being asked to wear a name tag today? What was your initial reaction to being asked to wear a name tag today? Because a lot of us, I know that for me, I always have a second moment of hesitation when I'm asked to wear a name tag in a group setting. And I don't know why that is. Except when I'm like, oh, do I really want people to know? Like, do I really want to identify? Or here's the other thing. Would you be willing to wear this out the door and wear it for the rest of the day? Yeah, I know. But I've done it ac accidentally, right? But most of us don't want to have that identifier. And there's an interesting psychology to that. I don't know what it is but we don't want to be identified. So here's what I know about you. No matter what, I will always look at you and identify you as the one thing that I know, which is pure spirit, pure love. Because that's all I choose to see anymore in my life. That's how I see every single person I encounter. That's how I see every single person on TV, politicians included. That's how I see all of humanity. Does that mean that everybody is acting in accordance with that ideal that I perceive? Not necessarily, but it's how I choose to see. And I think the more that we proliferate this idea that we get to choose how we perceive other people and recognize and know them only as, hello, my name is pure divinity. Hello, my name is love. Hello, my name is infinite knowledge. Hello, my name is all of it. I am all of it. Each and every one of us is all of it at the level of expression of ourselves. How do you feel in a situation where you're invited to wear a name tag? Here's the other thing. Have you ever gone into a situation to wear a name tag and written down something that was not your name? Just think about why, why, why? How are you choosing to identify in that moment? I was, you know, I was saying like, sometimes I feel like, oh, do I really want to wear a name tag? It's like, I feel like I've given up my choice to be an anonymous in that moment. And, and, and it's something that I have to really step back and consider. Is this how I choose to move forward? But if I believe that everyone is God, then what do I have to fear? If I believe everyone is God, what do I have to fear? So today's big question is how do you self-identify? Because, you know, I think we've all heard, I am is a, is a complete sentence. And whatever you put after that becomes the destiny, the expression, the, 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 the purposefulness of your life. I am immensely wealthy. And now my, my 
uh, you know, inner mind goes, well, no, look at your checking account. But the infinite truth is I am immensely wealthy because I have wealth of friends. I have wealth of air. I have wealth of nature. I have wealth of everything because I'm a part of the infinite wholeness of, that is inherently wealthy. Hello, my name is Powerful. I am powerful. When we say hello, my name is, it's akin to saying I am. You are making a statement into the law. You're making a statement into the law when you say, hello, my name is, and whatever you choose to put after it. And that statement into law is whatever you decide you want to put into it. Whatever you decide, the, the, the way in which you decide you want to show up as life. So what is that statement? Hello, my name is love or fear. Hello, my name is joy or misery. Hello, my name is harmony, this month's theme, or discord. Hello, my name is peace or conflict. Hello, I am light or darkness, life or non-existence, power or weakness, beauty or ugliness, wisdom or folly. The use we make of our mind is 24-7. It's 24-7. So when we step away from doing the active work of spiritual practice through whatever practices we do, meditation, visioning, prayer, treatment, uh, 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 affirmations, whatever it is, when we step away from the active engagement in it, what does the tendency of our mind become? Because whatever that tendency is, is the constant repetitive nature of saying, I am, hello, my name is, whatever it is. However you speak of yourself sets forth in motion the law of cause and effect. Ernest Holmes writes this, the limit of our ability to demonstrate depends on our ability to provide a mental equivalent of our desires. For the law of correspondence works from the belief to the thing. That's a lot to unpack, and I'm going to unpack it for a moment. The limit of our ability to demonstrate. So basically, that is saying the, the, the capacity that we have to create in our life, because the demonstration is the creation. The limit of our capacity to create depends on our ability to provide, and this is a jargony term, a mental equivalent. The easiest way to explain what mental equivalent is, is by saying this. Whatever is showing up out here has a perfect corresponding idea in mind. That's the mental equivalent. So whatever is showing up in our lives, our minds are ultimately creating that. Because our mental equivalent creates for the law of correspondence, remember I said this, so it's the mental equivalent. There's a corresponding idea to what is out there. The law of correspondence works from the belief, the idea in mind, to the thing. The law is always, 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 always creating. Which can be exhausting. Here's the good news. We don't have to actively create all the time. Because the law is doing the work. But when our life falls into disarray, when our life falls into discord, when our life falls into expressions of misery or upset, when our life falls into, um, when it falls into darkness, 
however it shows up, when it falls into those things that feel destructive, that's the clue. Not that there's something to fix out there, but that there's work to do in here. Oh, it's exhausting. I have to do the work now. Well, here's the good news. And, and I've seen, and, and, and I can claim this wholeheartedly because this has been my path. So I stand here as an example of how to put this into practice. The more I actively engaged in the practice, more of the time, as it became an embodied sense of me, I had to work at it less. Because it's work, and it's work, and it's work, until it's not work. Because we've embodied a new habitual way of thinking. New ideas in mind that become the default setting. That have become the default setting. Ernest Holmes continues with saying, It is within our power to provide a greater mental equivalent through the unfolding of consciousness. We get to provide a greater idea to change what is happening in our experience. It is within our power to provide a greater mental equivalent through the unfolding of consciousness. And this growth from within, it's the work we're doing within, will finally lead to freedom. The nature of life is constructive. The nature of life is to always unfold in terms of greater expressions of creation by means of itself. And so the more work we do, the more freedom we experience. And it all boils back down into, because I know who I am. And I know that my mind is powerful. And I know that I get to set the course for the expression of my life. Imagine there's no heaven. Can you imagine? It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine all the people living life in peace. There's an idea, a mental equivalent that we can begin to embody. And as we embody this mental equivalent and live life as peace ourselves, we begin to affect everything around us. And so the world becomes more peaceful. But it's not by trying to make peace out here. It's by being peace here. Everyone, everyone, it seems, wants the immediate gratification of that, though. You have that? going for you as well. It's like, I want peace, but it's not happening, but I want peace, but it's not happening, but I want peace. Well, relax, release, let go, and allow allow the peace. Because peace is inherent in each and every one of us. Love is inherent in each and every one of us. Joy is inherent in each and every one of us. These are our natural states of being. And anything that is contrary to that in our experience is something that we have control over, no matter what no matter what, because we cannot be affected by anything outside of ourselves unless we allow it. So I decided on Thursday, 
I am a, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a social media junkie. I, I'm, I'm admitting this freely to you now. I am on Facebook all the time. I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm always looking at the things that are going on. And what I realize is that I thought I had a handle on it on, I'm going to only like what I put out there. I'm trying to only spread the love. Right. But I, I'm being bombarded by these messages and these ideas of things that are antithetical to my frame of mind. Now, I think I get it a lot less because of the people I associate with on social media, but I still get like messages coming through that are not serving me. And so on Thursday, I said, you know what? I need to take some time off. So I've taken myself off of Facebook. I mean, I'm, I'm, my profile still there, but I decided I'm not looking at Facebook. I'm not looking at Twitter. I'm not going to allow myself to go into that, uh, right now for at least until Monday morning. And so here's what's happened in that experiment. Number one, I've gotten back hours and hours of time in my day. I'm like, what do I, what do I do with myself? Like, oh, I can actually engage in creation now. Like I can actually purposefully do things that are so extraordinary and fun. And, and, and I don't have to be, you know, relegated to just looking at this little screen all the time. It's a magnificent experience. So if you're engaged in social media, and I, not everybody here is, but if you are, maybe take some time off. So I got hours of time back. But I also realized I don't miss pretty much any of the messages. I just don't miss it. But I also realized how insidious it is, how second nature it is for me to just pick up my phone and hit the icon for Facebook. And every time I did it, I would say, wait a second, what am I doing? And turn it right off. I realize how every time I open a web browser, my first inclination is to type in www.facebook.com. Wait a second, what am I doing? No, I don't need to do that. Amazing how that can change because I don't need to say, hello, my name is someone who is completely invested and in, immersed in social media all day. I get to say, hello, my name is independent freedom my name is infinite peace. My name is I get to decide how I interact with this world and how much better it is to have face-to-face -face human interaction than it is to be sitting and looking at a screen a lot. So what ideas do you dwell upon? I have an introversion struggle. <laughs> And a lot of people are surprised by this because I can be fairly gregarious on stage. Like, they're like, oh, well, you have such a, you know, like you're light and bubbly and have a personality. Like, yes, I do have a light and bubbly personality. And yet by nature, I'm actually very much an introvert. And a lot of people, you know, you think introvert, you think shy. It's actually very different from shy. Being an introvert is actually how do we recharge ourselves? What is the nature in which we recharge ourselves? I need time away from people to simply be with myself. That's how I recharge. And other people need the people. Those are the extroverts. They need the people. That's how they recharge, right? So I used to basically claim for myself, hello, I am an introvert. But why? Where did I learn that? When did I decide that that was a, that that was a requirement for my expression of me, of being? I'm in charge. I get to choose. And I can choose to be an introvert. I can choose to be an extrovert. In fact, when I'm up here, I think I'm choosing to be an extrovert. Going out used to be a struggle for me. Going like just going out and, 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 and 
you know, I don't really go to bars anymore. <laughs> I don't go to clubs or bars like I used to when I was younger, a younger person. Once upon a time, I could have worn, hello, my name is the life of the party. And then something actually shifted for me where I decided to be an introvert. Because now what happened is my identity became, hello, my name is the observer. So if I go to a party, I tend to be the one who's observing everything that's going on, not necessarily jumping in and being the life of the party, although I used to be like that. So there are degrees on the scale. Like sometimes I'm less observant and more the life of the party, and sometimes I'm less the life of the party and more the observer. And it's, it varies depending on the pure, perfect moment, the right now moment. Because that's where we're all living, each and every one of us. So the more we pull in from our past and identify with that by saying, hello, I am whatever it is in our past, the more we continue to perpetuate those past ideas in our experience. So I'm going to ask you this to start to basically wrap it up. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with being yourself? With this understanding that the truth of who you are is infinite. Are you comfortable understanding and knowing and living within that infinite nature and not ever diminishing yourself in any way ever again? Are you comfortable with that? What we demonstrate today, Ernest Holmes writes, what we demonstrate today, tomorrow, and the next day is not as important as the tendency which our thought is taking. That's our habitual mind. The dominant attitude of our mind. If every day things are a little better, a little happier, a little more harmonious, a little more health-giving and joyous, if each day we are expressing more life, we're going in the right direction. You know that quote. <laughs> so here's what I say to you today. Make your claim. Make your claim. Know your name. And when you are out there in the world, be proud to say, hello, my name is fill in the blank. Namaste. Thoughts Are Things is an independently produced podcast. You can check out my blog, sign up for regular updates, or leave a comment on what you've heard today by visiting jonathanzens.com. Also, check out the latest on the development of the spiritual community I am founding in Tucson, Arizona, by liking our page on Facebook. Use the search function on Facebook and look up the page by typing in Tucson New Thought. Finally, my book, Thoughts Are Things, is now available on Amazon.com. Just look up Jonathan Zenz at Amazon and order your copy today.